Well, the bear is up here because I told my daughter, who's going to be four in a month, that I was talking in front of church, and she's like, here, Mom, take my bear bear. It'll make you brave. And I was like, you're the best. So the bear had to come. Couldn't leave it aside. So bear will give me power this morning. So good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming out. I was really optimistic when it was empty that I wouldn't have to actually talk to a full church with daylight savings time, but you guys all showed up, so thanks very much for coming out. My name is Brianna Wheeland. I'm a small group leader here, a member of your church council, a mom, and a bunch of other things. Um, And before I get into my sermon this morning, I actually want to take a few minutes for a couple of items as on behalf of the church council. Um, So if you've been around since the new year, you will have noticed that our senior pastor, Brad Zinn, has been on sabbatical. We actually haven't seen him for a while. Um, and tomorrow is his first day back, and we're really excited to see him and welcome him back. But at the same time, and on behalf of the church council, we just wanted to take a moment today to recognize all of you who have so generous, generously stepped up to fill so many roles and opportunities while he was out. From continuing to serve in ministries that require volunteers every week, to stepping out and being willing to preach, lead and, worship, uh, lead and support worship, pray, host either during the week or on Sunday mornings, and generally keep this place operating. The council just wanted to take an opportunity to recognize you all and say thank you. We literally could not have done it without you, so thank you. To those of you who preached, thanks for getting up here and facing all these scary faces and sharing your stories with us. Um, to those who led worship, Thanks so much for all the preparation and really early arrivals, especially this morning, and practice you did to keep us in tune. No pun intended. Uh, Thanks to the sound team, the connect team, the projection team, our prayer team, our children and kids team volunteers, and all of our workers and anyone else I'm forgetting who continued serving in what seemed like seamless ministries, but I'm sure we're not without their challenges on some Sundays. So if you in any way assisted in keeping this place running while Brad was out on sabbatical, will you just stand up for a quick second? We just want folks to understand how many people had their hands in making this place run. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We just need people to understand how how much time, resources, energy it takes to both make our sabbatical a really restful time for our pastor, but also a life-giving time for our church and our community. And thank you all so much. We do really appreciate you. And we'd also like to take a moment to acknowledge a few folks in particular. Um, and we have a small token of our appreciation for each of you. So if Elizabeth Verasso, Lindsay Pye McCormick, Jeff Eng, Jamie Grimble, Melissa Min, Gabriel Sim Laramie, and Jessica Richardson, if you're in the room, you have to actually come up and get your present from me so we can recognize and thank you for all your hard work. Yeah, here. This is for you. All right, that one's for you. I apologize if I mispronounced your last name. Wait, 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 you can't go. Right. Yeah. Oh, three suckers. All right, it's a quick prayer thing. I'm going to try to bless you. But from leading us all in worship on a number of Sundays, preaching multiple Sundays, preparing hundreds of cups of coffee, hundreds of bulletins, serving and ministering, ministering to our kids over the last 10 weeks, these things don't just happen. And over the last 10 weeks, we've successfully pulled off 10 Sunday services, multiple small groups. We've even hosted two parenting workshops to our broader community, which actually have been huge successes, including two specific kids-only sessions where they provided dinner and discussion with our kids. So thank you to everybody for your hard work and dedication. And when you see any of these folks 
or the rest of the people I mentioned, please stop them and say thank you, either today or in the coming weeks. So I just love to use you guys as representatives to pray for and bless the sabbatical, and also to welcome Brad back into our community tomorrow. So if you don't mind praying with me real quick. Thank you, God, so much for the life and heart and blood of this church. And we just acknowledge that it takes so many hands, so many feet to get this place up and running on a weekly basis and to keep it operating. So we acknowledge the love and care that people have given to our church. Just pray a special blessing on the folks that have contributed during the sabbatical and just pray that they would feel your blessing on them for all the time and resources that they've given to this community. And we just welcome Brad back tomorrow, God. Pray that his transition back is a smooth one and that we can welcome back with open arms. And in your name, amen. Thanks, guys. You may be seated now. And the council, the council, <laughs> has, the council has filled in many of the leadership roles that Brad took without any kind of recognition because we have a council <laughs> member. So if you would give the council yeah. um, Thanks. Thanks, Gabriel. Appreciate that. All right. So before I get into the heart heart of my message, um, I wanted to take a moment to orient all of us as we enter this new season of Lent. So this morning marks the first Sunday of Lent, and that is the traditional 40 days or so between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Traditionally, Lent has been structured as a season of preparation and anticipation, often marked by practices of reflective prayer, contemplation, and sometimes fasting, which culminates in the remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And those of you who have been here in past years for the Lent season might remember that we typically undertake a specific 40-day series with a theme and a curriculum to work through each week, often with weekly guides to spend time with during the week either on your own or with a small group. And this year, the theme we will be focusing on is how folks are actually meeting Jesus in specific spiritual practices. You'll be hearing from a variety of folks in our congregation, me today, on how they're currently meeting Jesus in a particular and very practical and sometimes unorthodox spiritual practice. This seems especially relevant to us this year as we made a specific commitment in, our, in the fall to focus on deepening our spirituality as a church community. Instead of a 40-day curriculum, however, each Sunday, the speaker is going to sh uh, share a message up here and then actually spend five to 10 minutes taking the congregation through an example or a practice of the spiritual practice they talked about on that Sunday. And then the speaker will send folks home with a practical application to try on their own or with a few friends. And as in years past, we encourage folks to try out a small group during this season as it is a great way to check out something new for a short season without a lot of pressure. Our small groups will be working through these exercises together each week and generally supporting each other in prayer and community. Alternatively, if you just want to grab a few friends or you want to do this on your own, that's totally fine. Try them out during the week. Our hope is really that this series will provide some potentially new ways or different approaches on how to meet and connect with the person of Jesus. And if you want to let us know how it's going, you can feel free to email me personally. My information's in the small group stuff on the back of the bulletin. Our small group's going to be working through that on Tuesday evenings. You're welcome to come out and check us out, um, and we'd love to see you. But really, I would love to just hear how the series is going for you, what's meaningful to you, and we'd love any feedback. Sound good? Okay. All right. Now we get to get going on our first example of a spiritual practice where I, in particular, am meeting Jesus. But first of all, I'm just going to let you guys in on some big news of mine. 
I'm going on vacation in three weeks. Yes, well overdue. Oh, did you think I was going to tell you I was pregnant? Well, I am. Yay, that's a good one too. Thanks, very excited. But have you ever been in that situation where you thought that type of congratulations was in order and you said something and then you were wrong? Yeah, it's the worst, right? I've been there. I know some of us in here have been there. You want to crawl into the hole and wish you'd actually never run into that person who is, in fact, not pregnant, right? Well, just sit with me for a second. Can you feel the feelings inside that you have right after that moment you said something that you knew was totally wrong? What kind of self-talk is going on? What are you saying to yourself? What are the messages that are going through your head? They're not the most warm and fuzzy, right? You know, some negative self-talk maybe going on there. You tolerate uh, just pretty harsh stuff coming internally into what you're like, what? what were you thinking? Why did you say anything out loud, right? I know I've made mistakes like in this in the past, and it totally sucks. You know, I was thinking of other examples, and my husband, you know, John, he so graciously brought up the times when one of us, I don't know which one, may have made the mistake of assuming someone in a store that's walking through actually works in the store, right? You're like, hey, do you guys sell cream cheese? And they're like, I do not work here. And you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, you ever pull that one? I'm especially hard on myself when I make this mistake with a younger person, or unfortunately, and I don't love admitting this, but when it's a person of color. Yeah, I hate to admit that one. I'm sorry to say it's true. But we have to start owning our crap before we can make progress, right? And that one has happened. Not something I'm proud of, but I'm, I'm sorry for that. But those kind of moments are real low points for me. And that's when the nasty self-talk really comes out then with me. Like, Brianna, you are so stupid. You're prejudiced, right? You haven't made any progress in this area. You're so ignorant. What's wrong with you, right? So crazy as it is, we're going to be talking about just that today, how our self-talk and our self-criticism and our general treatment of ourselves could probably use some work. Today, I'm talking to you about self-compassion. That's where I'm meeting Jesus in a very practical way. And yes, this might be one of, more of, one of those that are a bit more unorthodox, right? But give me a chance, and my hope is by the end of this talk, you can actually have a sense of the practical implications, self-compassion as a spiritual practice, could really have on your life, okay? So let's just start with some basic definitions of self-compassion. And trust me, there's a ton out there on this now. There's a, there are books, there's a TED, there are a bunch of TED Talks, um, websites. You can dig into this if you want. But I thought I would start with my simple, off the top of my head definition of self-compassion. And I would view that as the ability to treat oneself with kindness, care, gentleness, and perspective. Moving up a notch, Wikipedia defines self-compassion as extending compassion to oneself in instances of perceived inadequacy, failure, or general sufferings. And it entails being warm toward oneself when encountering pain and personal shortcomings, rather than ignoring them or hurting oneself with self-criticism. And then going up another notch, Dr. Kristen Neff, who's kind of the self-compassion guru and author of the book, Self-Compassion, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Leave Insecurity Behind, who I will be referring to a few times this morning, says the following. 
Instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies or shortcomings, self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect? So as I was digging into all of this and praying about this sermon, I realized that when I read scripture, I see self-compassion. And as I discovered self-compassion, I realized I found it rooted in the depth of my spiritual experience. I see through scripture that God loves me. And part of believing that God loves me is letting myself believe that he loves me, that I'm loved and worthy of his love. So I thought it'd be helpful to take a look at this through the command of Jesus in Matthew 22, and then discuss how I believe self-compassion is reflected in the Bible, and specifically in the most important commandments from Jesus himself, and discuss how we can begin to practice self-compassion today. So let's start by reading Matthew 22, 35 through 40 together. Um, it's in your bulletin. And it, yep, there it is. Um, and this is a teacher of the law, not one of those silly lawyers, mind you, but a teacher of the law, someone who studied the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, very thoroughly. Here he is asking Jesus a pointed question. And scholars actually disagree on whether this guy was trying to trip Jesus up and trap him in a corner like typical Pharisee style, or if actually he was a sincere seeker of the truth. Either way, he was the fortunate recipient of Jesus' greatest commandments. So let's read them together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I know there's a lot here, even in six short verses, and many sermons have been preached on these verses. After all, this is titled The Greatest Commandment. But let's dig in a bit as it relates to self-compassion as a spiritual practice. And here's the first big thing. When Jesus concludes this passage by saying that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, it was a big deal because the law and the prophets were the only sections of the Bible recognized as scripture during Jesus' lifetime. So Jesus is basically saying like, hey guys, the whole Bible boils down to this. Pay attention. And I've returned to these verses a bunch of times in my life and when I was really struggling with what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, I turned to these two commandments for what I saw as my minimum mission statement that I was called to if I was to continue loving and following Jesus. And I read it as basically love God and love people. And that seemed like a tall enough order in itself, so I just stuck with those for a while. It seems like if you get those two things down, you might be a good part of the way there with what God is calling you to in your life. And so as I was studying these verses and praying about how God feels about self-compassion, it helps solidify for me why self-compassion as a spiritual practice is so important. 1 John 4.16 states that God is love. As one Bible commentator noted, of course we know that everything starts with God's love for us, expressed in so many ways, but especially in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are able to love only because God first loved us. We are able to give only that which we have. So once we have received God's love, we actually have something we can pass along. We're able to respond to God's love by loving God with our whole being, by loving ourselves in a healthy, life-giving way, and then loving others as well. When we understand it, that's what life is all about. 
And life is about relationships. And life is either good or less than good depending upon the quality of those relationships. It's threefold. Life is about my relationship with God, my relationship with myself, and my relationship with others. That's life. That's the main thing, he says. So to return to Matthew 22, isn't this what Jesus is saying? Relationships are what matter. Love God with your whole self, heart, soul, mind, and then love each other and yourself. Do this, and you're beginning to capture the essence of what God is calling us in this great big world too. And so here's what I've found. Because of God's love for us and Jesus' greatest commandment, I am called to not only love God and others, but myself. So let's stay focused on our topic of self-compassion as a spiritual practice today. Until very recently, I always kind of shrugged off the love your neighbor as yourself part, right? Love yourself. What does that actually mean? In my experience, the church focuses a lot on the love your neighbor part, albeit imperfectly, but does not do so much talking about the loving yourself bit, and as a result of that, I think there's actually a lot of unloving ourselves. I was raised in a pretty fundamental, conservative Christian home, so loving God and your neighbors as yourself often meant being very self-sacrificing, generous, giving to others, often over yourself, and never really allowing space to recognize what you needed or, God forbid, what you wanted. At least that's a lot of the message I perceived growing up. And I remember thinking that it was wrong to want something for yourself or that claiming anything for yourself or saying no was wrong, was selfish, and was entitled. And that really followed me into adulthood. Give, 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 but never expect to receive. And you know what? It's better if you just don't need to receive it all. In the story in the Bible, when Jesus visits the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary sits at Jesus' feet immediately to soak it all in, and Martha, you have this image of Martha, right? She's like huffing and puffing around, getting all the work done, prepping the meal, and then exasperated, she goes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, tell Mary to help a sister out. And Jesus is like, oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. (laughs) Mary got it right this time. But here's the kicker, and I'm not sure why, because I think Jesus is pretty clear in this one, but Martha was still always the person that, from my perception, Christians around me, at least when I was a kid, still aspired to be. Be busy, be giving, be generous, but God forbid, never just be, right? Don't sit down and soak it in. Make the casserole, pray for people, show up to three services in one weekend, give, 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 and in that giving, you might squeak something out for yourself, from this faith thing. But in the story of Mary and Martha, and here in Matthew 22, Jesus says specifically to love your neighbor as yourself. Be a Mary, Jesus is saying. Choose yourself. Sit at my feet and soak it all in. Know what you need. Disappoint others if you have to. It's okay. God loves you, and this lets you love yourself. So I just couldn't wrap my head around this concept. So I chose not to. That is not until about three years ago. And that's when I started therapy with my therapist, Helen. Yep, the spill your guts, open your heart, expose all your wounds, wonderful, messy, talking to a professional counselor kind of thing, therapy. I started therapy almost exactly three years ago this week. And as some of you know, it was born out of a place of depression, new motherhood, and the stark realization that even though I had what I thought I wanted, a loving husband, a beautiful new daughter, a career, 
all the things, I still found myself depressed, hurting, and in a real place of need. You can actually hear more about that process in a sermon I gave up here two years ago about. Um, if you'd like, you can let me know, and I will reluctantly send you the link to that. <laughs> but the cliff notes are this. I had to recognize my place of need and see the brokenness in my life, past hurt and a lot of past anger that needed to be dealt with and healed. I had to see my absolute need for Jesus in the good and in the bad and definitely in the in-between. And I had to allow God to imprint and impact his identity on me for my life. And can I just digress for a moment and tell you how much I love therapy? Like, I really love it, guys. At some point in this process, I became a therapy evangelist, or as Charlene dubbed last night, a ther-evangelist. Yeah, I've tried literally to give my therapist away to multiple people. Seriously, don't worry, I get to keep her. That is definitely the first rule. And people, a couple of them have actually taken me up on it. I really knew it had gotten bad a couple of weeks ago when we're sitting in small group and talking about solutions to the thing, and I was about to talk, and someone was like, yeah, we know, therapy. <laughs> that made me so proud. <laughs> but I honestly and wholeheartedly believe that God put Helen in my life, and she has been such a source of healing for me to work through this process with. So small plug, if you want to hear more about therapy and my experience with it and the absolute healing I have experienced, I would love to talk to you. Seriously, I think I could talk about it for hours. Charlene's smiling at me. She knows I'm right. <laughs> but I really am a believer that it can and has changed lives, including this one, okay? And I would just love to, to shout out to Helen. She came out here today to support me, so thank you so much for being here, Helen. I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you about therapy too, guys. She is amazing. So, okay. Soapbox therapy stowed away, and we're back on track, all right? All right, so fast forward three years from starting therapy, and here we are. I've made some progress, and I'm here to talk to you about self-compassion. That's actually crazy to me because I think there's hope for all of us if I'm the one up here talking to you about self-compassion, okay? I had never even heard of the concept until three years ago, seriously. I would come into Helen's and start talking about what was going on in my life and begin to just rip myself apart for what I viewed as my failures, my faults, my unforgivables. And I viewed my self-criticism, as I think many of us do at times, as keeping myself honest or humble or sharpening myself, you know? At least my self-criticism was an asset, I thought. And sometimes I used it to beat people to the punch on the criticism I was sure they had of me before they could actually inflict it on me first. You know, at least I could say internally, I totally beat you that one a long time ago. Um, but as Helen and I started working through some of these things, I realized that my self-criticism wasn't actually achieving what I thought it was. And in fact, it was either propping myself up so I could judge others from a place of pride, or it was bottoming me out to a place that was hopeless and felt unchangeable. There was actually no place for perspective or understanding or even grace for myself. I really was my harshest critic. And that became tiring. And I didn't really like the person I was conversing with on a regular basis. She was actually really mean. And she was more and more becoming less authentic to the person I was becoming in my process in therapy and who I knew I really wanted to be in the end. Helen would get this look on her face when I was talking and be like, wow, do you hear about you, how you talk about yourself? It's really harsh. Would you ever talk to your friend like that? 
That was a really hard exercise for me, to stop using that type of language or trying to extend care to myself. And up to that point, self-criticism, I thought, had in many ways gotten me to the place where I was in my life. So I kind of thought of her as an ally, a survival instinct, and many of the harsher climates that I had experienced and survived in my life. But for all she had done for me, I was finally re realizing she had come far enough. She'd served her purpose, and it was kind of time for her to move out of the driver's seat and maybe move out entirely. So one very recent example we've been working on lately, and I am still very much in process on this one, so this is vulnerable for me to share with you, but we're going to go for it, uh, is how I view my appearance, and especially how I'm physically perceived at work. Ever since I can remember, I would not allow myself to leave the house to go to school or work without my hair or my makeup done. That was just one of my life rules. And I was especially critical of myself when I would talk to Helen about this need, this area of my life, as I actually viewed it internally as a major weakness and a lack of authenticity to who I actually wanted to be. I viewed it as vanity and pride and so superficial to need to do something so surface level when it really had nothing to do with my merits as a student or now as a lawyer. Do you get the lawyer joke now? Okay. Anyway, back to the serious stuff. I, I really couldn't get past this issue, and I was so critical of myself and judged myself so harshly for needing to do this thing, right? But I just couldn't see a way out or a solution. We actually talked about it a lot, and it came up in a lot of different contexts. But interestingly, Helen offered me the gift of self-compassion in this space, which became really eye-opening. And instead of suggesting I actually change my outward behavior, she recently asked me to view my perception of myself less harshly and use more curiosity instead. She said, Brianna, when you're getting ready in the morning, instead of berating yourself for needing to do your makeup or needing to do your hair, why don't you approach it with an open-minded and non-judgmental curiosity? Why do I need to do this? How does it make me feel? Why do I feel more comfortable this way? I was really skeptical of this one, and I was pretty confident it wasn't going to work but it is therapy, and I pay her. <laughs> so I tried anyway, um, and it was actually super interesting. Within a week or so of Helen presenting me with this challenge, here I was standing in front of my mirror by myself, doing the hair, doing the makeup, and trying to use curiosity instead of judgment on what this was all about. And suddenly, I had such a clear image of myself as a little girl. I was in front of this huge mirror in my childhood bathroom where all my siblings and I would do final cleanup after breakfast, before heading off to school or church. We had extra toothbrushes in this bathroom, the hair stuff was in a special drawer, and my mom would come in and make sure everyone was ready to go. And I remember one school picture day in particular, I had agonized over what to wear and intentionally like, left my hair down, which as a middle schooler was so unique because I had perfected the perfect tight ponytail that I did every day. <laughs> and unfortunately, my mom found my hair unacceptable, and she pulled it back halfway. <sighs> and that ended up being one of my least favorite school pictures of all time. And I can see it right now as I talk to you about it. But I realized at that moment a couple weeks ago in front of my mirror as a 34-year-old adult, that I had actually never been allowed as a child to leave the house, unkempt or without polishing up or being presentable. 
And all of a sudden, I felt this true sense of compassion for my younger self. Huh, younger self, you never were allowed to leave the house without your hair done. It wasn't okay. That was against the family rules. And when I revealed this to Helen in our next session, she was amazed. She actually came back the next week and told me, Brianna, I just kept thinking about that little girl. And I felt so sad for her. And I agreed. I felt really sad for her too. So since then, I've had a new appreciation for why I am the way that I am. And I have practiced more self-compassion for myself. I've actually been able to treat myself with the gentleness I didn't know I was capable of in this area. And like I said, I'm still in process, and this one is a pretty fresh one for me. So I'm still showing up to work polished up, because honestly, I don't necessarily feel safe not to yet. But my weekends are a bit more relaxed now. You're lucky I showered this morning, because I am on a one-shower-a-weekend policy lately. <laughs> yeah. Are you clapping because I showered? Um, our new house doesn't actually have any mirrors on the first floor. That's also because we moved in a few months ago, but I think it's kind of a good policy to stick with. And I actually feel okay leaving the house without my makeup done or my hair done to go pick up my daughter from daycare, go to the grocery store. And when that inner critic of mine pipes up, I say, yeah, I hear you, but you know what? I'm just good the way I am. And you know, I'm more than my appearance and people that care about me actually love me whether I have my hair or my makeup done or not. So this new realization of self-compassion has helped me continue to extend compassion to others as well, especially in this area of outward appearances where I tend to be so critical. And I admit, I generally have a far easier time with compassion for others than I do for myself. But practicing self-compassion has opened my eyes further to the struggles and suffering of others. With my daughter, who's about to turn four, and in my eyes is legitimately absolutely beautiful, I resist cleaning her up before she leaves the house, like my nature would tell me to do. I let her leave the house in clothes she has chosen, often mismatched, what is matching anyway, right? Hair uncombed, unkempt, and I make no apologies for her, most of the time. I try to compliment her on how funny or brave or strong or kind she is long before I make comments on how she looks or on what she's wearing. And I totally acknowledge that she needs to hear from me as her mom that I think she's beautiful, and I happily tell her that on many occasions. But I hope it's balanced with so many of her other traits that I value and I cherish. This one has certainly been a challenge and an education, learning how to parent a daughter as I've worked through my own crap on my childhood issues, especially in this area. With other new moms and friends, I realized that letting, literally letting my hair down or throwing it up, clean or dirty, or not wearing makeup actually gives them permission to be themselves too. And my daughter gets to be a witness to that too. One of my mama friends told me recently that she's so impressed how put together I am every morning when I drop my daughter off at daycare. And my heart actually hurt a little bit on that one, guys. Because intrinsic in that, at least to me, was that it somehow cast a judgment on how she presents herself. But I owned my junk in that moment. I admitted to her right there that that's actually an issue I'm working on with my therapist, that I don't actually want it to be important to me, but it still is. So trust me, I'm still a work in progress on this particular topic and self-compassion generally. But I am excited to keep moving forward on this path, prayerfully and with help. But 
honestly, I generally like myself a lot more now. I really do. I literally feel myself caring less about my appearance some days, which is so refreshing. And isn't liking myself another kind of the point. So what I have been realizing for the past three years is that self-compassion is neither selfish nor entitled. And practicing self-compassion as a spiritual practice for me actually makes me a better human. And I bet it might make you a better human too. To our children, our spouses, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors in our community, loving ourselves really does help us love our neighbors better. And because God loves us, we live in this beautiful grace of having enough love to go around. Not just for others, but for ourselves too. In her book, Dr. Neff talks about three essential components of self-compassion, which I just want to touch briefly on, and they're in your bulletin for you to just take home and think about. And they offer just a few practical strategies and questions. Um, when you find yourself in that moment of what you consider to be a personal failure, a shortcoming, or just general suffering, and these are the three components, and I'm just going to through them briefly, but the first is self-kindness, the second is common humanity, and the final is mindfulness. Self-kindness is the first one. And I'm going to talk through each of these in just a sec. The second is common humanity. And then the third is mindfulness. So let's just talk very briefly about these, each of them quickly. So self-kindness, really ask yourself whether you can practice kindness and gentleness with yourself in your weakest or crappiest moment, right? What would you really say to your best friend if they were in this situation? I know that sounds cheesy, but it's actually really effective. Because the way I speak to my friends is way different than I speak internally. For common humanity, this just gives us a chance to recognize our own humanity and our imperfections. First of all, humans were never meant to be perfect. That just takes some of the pressure off. And also, suffering is a common reality of being human. Isn't that a relief? In your suffering or your discomfort, can you actually recognize that you're not the only person in the world to ever feel this way or fail this way? or experience this type of suffering or pain. Hopefully that can bring some comfort and perspective. And then finally, a focus on mindfulness actually allows you to see yourself and your emotions. Like, can you actually recognize when you're suffering? Seriously. You know, when someone calls you out at work in front of others for a mistake, or when you say the wrong name of a person for the third time in a row, can you actually step back and recognize that you feel crappy about that, or sad, or disappointed in your behavior? Mindfulness actually lets you acknowledge your feelings and emotions without either belittling them or inflating them. And it's okay if most of those feelings are the crappy ones, right? This is where these things happen. Like if you feel fear or if you feel sad or you feel shame, oh, shame, don't get me started. Um, those are the normal feelings to be feeling in this place. Um, and I like Dr. Neff's illustration of mindfulness. She says, Think of that time when you're watching a great movie in a movie theater, right? Like you're totally engrossed in the movie and all of a sudden someone's phone goes off or someone sneezes and for the first time in a little while you realize you're not actually in the movie. You aren't. You're not about to fight the bad guy. You're not in the movie. You get to take a step back and be like, oh, I'm in a movie theater. And maybe that's disappointing in that moment. But from the perspective of the movie illustration, stepping back from the movie is actually a good thing. It's that moment of mindfulness. 
to stick with the movie illustration, stepping back from the movie of our thoughts and our emotions can actually allow us to see that that's all they are. They are thoughts and they are emotions, and they don't necessarily reflect reality. Thus, they can actually be given less weight. They're observed, but not necessarily believed. They're acknowledged, but not owned. And in a moment of mindfulness, you're actually able to pull yourself back enough from a situation to recognize that you are not your feelings. And that can be an opportunity in a moment to offer yourself compassion and understanding. Does that make sense? Kind of? It's like, oh, it's, it's all up here. But it's good. It's really good. So I love this stuff. So uh, before I wrap up, I just want to take a moment, and I added this this morning because I think I just need to acknowledge that I understand you might be sitting there thinking that self-compassion seems kind of like a, the more unorthodox style of practice or just like a self-help technique um, rather than a traditional spiritual practice. But guys, three years ago, I was in such a crappy place. I described myself in my sermon as a hot mess. Um, and I just felt God was calling me and drawing me to him or herself. And therapy and self-compassion were where I found God. And every step of his journey has not been without its challenges. But every step along the way, God encourages me, saying, Daughter, you're strong. I love you. This is good, and you can do this. This process is hard. Three years ago, the, the last three years have been the hardest three years of my life. I've had the hardest conversations with people in my life. I've challenged everything I believe. But here I am standing in front of you telling you I can handle that. And I can handle who I am and who God calls me to be. So I just want you to understand that this has all been infused by the Holy Spirit in my process. And I believe self-compassion is something God is calling us to if we're willing to respond to it. Self-compassion as a spiritual practice is tough. I think that's why they call it a practice. We fail and we have to try again. Trust me, I just had to write a sermon on self-compassion. <laughs> Talk about a challenge, right? <laughs> but I believe from experience now that a daily, hourly, minutely, prayerful practice of self-compassion is a much more gentle way to live. One that recognizes our own and others' suffering. One that acknowledges our common humanity and our imperfections and allows us to be mindful and aware of our suffering and our pain, while not allowing it to rule our lives. Love God and love people, and that includes yourself. So as I mentioned, to close out our talks during this series, we'll be practicing what we preach. So today, to wrap up, I'd love to take you through a loving-kindness meditation that has been specifically created for faith communities from a perspective that because God is love, we are able to meditate on God's love and extend it to ourselves and to others. And the cornerstone of this meditation is love. The Bible is filled with advice about loving God and loving others, including the verses we discussed this morning. So we're going to take some time this morning, probably five to ten minutes, to do a loving-kindness meditation together. All right? It's not scary. You don't have to move. You just listen to my voice. It'd be great. All right? So I'm going to give you instructions. You just follow what I say and... Uh, this will be our last exercise together, okay? So here we go. Begin by settling into a comfortable position in your chair and set your feet flat on the floor in a way that feels natural for you. All right, I feel you moving, all right. Wiggle around on your chair until you're comfortable and make sure you're sitting upright 
but not straining with your spine nice and tall so you can actually really breathe into your stomach. And take a moment, relax your shoulders, let the tension out of your forehead. You can close your eyes if you want or pick a point somewhere to focus on. And let's just start by taking three long breaths together in and out. And center your awareness on your breathing and just let yourself enjoy a moment of relaxation. And let your breathing return to its natural rhythm. And pay attention to your breath. Pay attention as it flows in and out of your chest. And as your mind begins to settle, start contemplating on Jesus. In John 15, 4, Jesus states that we should abide in him like the branch of a vine. Visualize God's life flowing from Jesus in you. You are the branch. You are abiding in Jesus. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Think on loving God the Father with all your heart, soul, and mind. During this practice, it's perfectly normal for your mind to wander, and if it does, just let it be. Go back to thinking on loving God with your heart, soul, and mind. And now realize that all people are God's creation and that God loves all. Good or evil, God's grace shines on all people. See yourself loving all people like God. Let's begin by offering ourselves a blessing. Create an image of yourself in your mind. You as you are now, maybe you as a small child, and try to cultivate a soft, loving heart toward yourself. Extend grace and love to yourself. Now imagine yourself cupped in God's loving, tender hands. Just let yourself rest in God's hands. Now think on this with me and repeat in your head. May I experience God's love. May I experience God's rest. May I experience God's peace. Let us now extend our blessing to someone you love. Imagine your partner, a best friend, a sister or brother, a child or parent. Someone who brings you deep feelings of love, of tenderness and care. Imagine this person. Open your heart to this person and extend love and grace toward them. And imagine this person cupped in God's loving, tender hands. And just let them rest in God's hands for a moment. And now think with me. May they experience God's love. 
may they experience God's rest. May they experience God's peace. And now comes the hard part. Let us now extend our blessing to someone whom you just don't get along with. This is someone who causes tension, anger, negative emotions when you interact with them. Imagine this person in your mind and try to hold them gently in your heart with feelings of gentleness and kindness. If feelings of anger or tension arise, it's okay. Try to release these feelings to God, just letting go, opening your heart to set these negative energies free to God's care. And imagine this person cupped in God's loving, tender hands. Just let them rest in God's hands for a moment. And think with me. May they experience God's love. May they experience God's rest. May they experience God's peace. Finally, let us extend God's blessings to all beings everywhere. All that is, all that has ever been made, all that is and was and is to come, it is all held by God, sustained by God's love and blessed by God's spirit. Imagine a beautiful blue-green earth in your mind, full of plants and animals and so many people, so many beings. And this whole world is in God's upturned palm. The whole world rests in God. And think with me. May all beings everywhere experience God's love. May all beings everywhere experience God's rest. May all beings everywhere experience God's peace. Now take a deep breath. You can begin moving your hands and feet. Gently start moving your head. And then very slowly you could start to open your eyes. Not too scary, right? You'll notice in your bulletin that you have some practical tips to take home with you, including a guide to the meditation that we just did and some other recommendations on checking out therapy and meditation generally. I put my email on there. You're definitely welcome to reach out to me if you have any questions or if you want to stop me after the service, feel free. I'd be happy to be available to you in any way. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are love. And thank you that there's enough love in this world to go around for others and for ourselves. 
So God, we just pray you'd meet us in this place. You'd bless us with your Holy Spirit. You'd infuse us with your love and Holy Spirit and care for us, that we would be able to begin to see ourselves with your eyes, with self-compassion, with self-kindness, the recognition of our common humanity and mindfulness for where we are in life. And we thank you for who you've made each of us to be. Thank you, God.